This program is brought to you by the University of Southern Queensland. And now on Phoenix Radio, Spaced Out. Yes, you are listening to Spaced Out on phoenixradio.com.au. My name is Jack Lewis. I hope you're doing all right. Back into another week after what was hopefully a lovely, restful, long weekend for you. Another donut day in Queensland today. That's something to celebrate. It seems like the Delta scare last week has passed us. I don't know how, but it's, it's some kind of miracle. Queensland always seems to avoid these outbreaks. Yeah, I know we have strict measures, and I'm aware of that, but these clusters still seem to never spread as much as they could. Sadly for Victoria, they had 1,420 cases and 11 deaths overnight. New South Wales had 594 cases and 10 deaths overnight, which is just so sad, but on a a positive note, the whole country has now passed 80% Uh, for first vaccinations, which is a a glimmer of hope for those southern states. And while we're on the topic of COVID, the Queensland Tracing app now has an option to book your vaccine. I would have thought that most people would have their vaccines booked by now, but I'm not sure. And while, but enough of that, we've got a massive show coming up for you today. We're going to find out how you can make friends as adults, as we always talk with Rachel Hannum with some mental health advice. And then we're going to find out how you would spend $1 million and so much more coming up on the show. But up next, we are taking a brave new look at local crime. You're listening to Spaced Out on phoenixradio.com.au. My name is Jack Lewis. Do you feel safe at home or, or when you're on the streets? The Queensland Times released an article this week that outlines the suburbs in Ipswich with the highest and lowest crime rates. But what makes the suburbs safe or dangerous? Dr Terry Goldsworthy has served as a detective inspector for close to 30 years and written and thought extensively on evil from a criminological viewpoint. He is currently an associate professor at Bond University and he joins me now. Good afternoon, Terry. Yeah, good afternoon. Now, Terry, what factors uh, contribute to, to high crime and low crime suburbs? Yeah, look, I mean, the causes of crime are, are multifactorial, but I guess, you know, one thing we should probably clear up for the readers is when you're looking at crime, I noticed uh, the article in the paper today talked about numbers, and we just need to be careful about what we're better looking at is the rate, because, you know, the, the article mentioned that there was an increase in the population, etc. So it's logical to expect that where you have an increase in population, you may well have an increase in crime due to uh, more targets or victims being available and also some criminal elements coming into the society there. So it was interesting. I had a look at the data for Ipswich and it actually shows that between 2019 and 20, uh, the crime rate declined by 15% up there. So, you know, overall, I think Ipswich is probably in a, in a good place. It's decreasing its crime rate overall. And there were some exceptions to that, notably drug offences and assaults had increased. Uh, but I guess going back to your question in terms of what makes a place safe, 
there's a whole number of things such as, uh, you know, the level of uh, social cohesion, the opportunity for criminals to commit acts, the uh, level of policing in the, in the uh, suburbs, etc. cetera, uh, you know, individual issues such as substance abuse, tolerance of crime, unemployment, they all can factor into how safe somewhere is. Yeah. So when we talk about uh, crime rates as opposed to just straight numbers, do you mean like as a the, the crimes as a percentage of the population in that area? Yeah. So the crime rate is generally accepted. We work it out as uh, the number of crimes per hundred thousand of the population. Right. And that way, it's independent of any increases or decreases uh, in that population itself. So it's a more accurate way to look at you know have you actually got a crime increase. Or, um, you know, have you uh, just got an increase in populations cause that? And I guess the other check you need then to do is once you see, yeah, there's a big increase in the rate, is look at the actual numbers because sometimes some offences have very small numbers, right. you know, like 30 or 40. So if you had 20 unlawful uses of motor vehicles, stolen cars, and suddenly it went up to 30, uh, you know, you'd have a 25% increase. But you're talking about very small numbers. Yep. Yeah, I wanted to ask you because um, what what um, role does actual like uh, density and closeness together play on on crime in an area? Because looking at the suburbs with the highest crime areas like Goodna and Red Bank Plains, they're sort of estate areas with houses quite close together, whereas the 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 um, areas the suburbs with the lowest that they are calling the safest, uh, very much rural areas of Ipswich with. Um, people that are a lot further apart, places like Goulman and the Bluff and uh, Lower Mount Walker. Is, is there a big role that density plays as well as actual population? Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, generally you'll see crime occur in built-up areas more than perhaps rural, uh, rural areas, and that is simply because, uh, you, you know, in a rural area, you're more likely to stand out if you're going in there to commit criminal acts mm. uh, because it's unusual that you would be in, in that kind of a deserted street or whatever else. Um, you know, conversely, in the suburbs, uh, most of us, we see a strange car pull up in our street, we don't think too much of it. I mean, there are obviously exceptions to that. Um, but, you know, if you've got a lot of traffic moving through, a lot of pedestrian people uh, walking through, etc., it just provides more opportunity for criminals to blend in um, and it's a more target-rich environment for them. So, you know, I guess uh, unless there's a specific purpose for them, going out to a rural estate, they may only have two or three houses that they could potentially break into, whereas, you know, in a suburban built-up area, there's a greater range of targets, um, and as I said, they can blend in better, so it's probably more logical for them to attempt their criminal activities there. Yeah. Are criminals also more likely to target their own, like, local suburb or area? Yeah, look, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, there's different uh, theories on uh, home range of criminals and, you know, they won't uh, commit crimes in their own areas, etc. Mm. Generally, they'll move within a, a range away from where they live. Like, uh, it'd be highly unusual. I mean, it does occur, but it's unusual for a criminal to, you know, to walk out of their house and then go, I'm going to break into the houses across the street, etc. Yep. Um, it, it's just not the way they operate. But they may only go, you know, one, two, three kilometres away and commit their offences in that area. Or alternatively, you know, quite often, um, you know, in the Gold Coast here, we, we see people coming down from Brisbane, uh, coming down, committing crimes, stealing cars, and going back to Brisbane. So uh, on the other hand, they are prepared to travel. You know, they'll come down on uh, public uh, transport, uh, commit their offences, and then, you know, steal a car to go home. Yep. And Terry, what is... Um, should an area's crime rates be a major factor 
in for people where they choose to live? Well, I think it should be. I mean, I think, uh, you know, when I uh, moved house and bought her property that, I looked at the crime in the area, and uh, anyone in the public can do that. There's a thing called the crime map on the Queensland Police website where you can see the reported crime on a map. This map, it won't identify individuals or yep. individual addresses, but certainly if you looked up uh, Smith Street, Goodner, uh, you could see uh, how much and what type of crime has occurred in Good Street, Good, uh, Smith Street, Goodner. Uh, for the last two, three, four, five years. Right. Um, so that would give an indication of uh, how much crime would be there. And I think uh, people these days are conscious of that type of stuff, and especially if they've got uh, bringing up a young family, et cetera, they want a good environment for their children. Yep. Well, yeah, thank you, Terry. That's, um, that's really insightful. Thank you, thank you for your time this afternoon. No, that's fine. That was Dr. Terry Goldsworthy, who is an Associate Professor in Criminology at Bond University. This is spaced out on Phoenix Radio, but we're going to cross straight to our space expert, Jonty Horner. But before I do, I want to say, it's one of the most iconic scenes in cinema history. The original Star Wars changed the game for movies, but there's that iconic scene in particular ingrained into everyone's brain where the naive Luke Skywalker stands on the Tatooine sands with the dual suns behind him. It's beautiful. But guess what? Something similar has been spotted in real life. Yes, that's right. It's that time of the show where we look... Into the Universe with Chanty Horner. Yes, each week I am joined by USQ professor in astrophysics and all-round space expert, Dr. Jonty Horner. Good afternoon, Jonty. Good afternoon. How are you going? I'm really well, thanks. Thanks heaps for for joining me again today. It's always good fun. There's always something fun to talk about. Yeah, and Jonty, happy Space Week. Happy World Space Week. Yeah, how cool is that? Every year we get to celebrate something. This year we're celebrating the achievements in particular of women in space. So a long history going back to the first woman in space, Valentina Tereshkova, with many other luminaries in the time since. And some of our excellent space people at USQ, like Natalie Alos and one of our PhD students, all part of that whole story. So there's lots of cool stuff to talk about there as well. But, you know, we'll talk about something a little bit further from home, I think. Okay. Um, Jonty, tell... I think you heard me talking about that Star Wars scene. Tell me uh, what's going on in this real-life version of Star Wars. Well, this is really cool. It's one of those things that I I just realised listening to you, that film Star Wars came out just before I was born. So it's one of those things that was before I was born and I grew up with it as a kid. And it's really interesting that people are still growing up with it and it's still as culturally relevant. And everybody knows the scene we're talking about. You've got Luke looking out and the two suns setting side by side. Mm. And we found a number of these kind of Tatooine-like planets over the years, planets going around two stars. The story today is potentially a case of celestial one-upmanship. We've also found planets in systems with three stars, but never one before which was going around all three of those stars. Normally you've got a planet going around one star with two stars way off in the distance. Here, we've got a baby stellar system. They're really young. They're only about a million years old, which to you and me sounds ancient. Mm. (laughs) But for stars, that's really kind of not even basically drawing their first breath. Really, really young. For reference, this is four and a half thousand times younger than the sun. Right. Really baby stars. 
you've got two in the middle that are both significantly chunkier than the sun, so they're going to be shorter lived than the sun. One is about twice the mass of the sun, the other is about one and a half times the mass of the sun. They're as far apart as the Earth and the sun are, and they go around each other every 270 days. Further out, about as far as Saturn is from the sun, you've got a third star. And that star is comparable to the sun, and it whizzes round probably in about 11 and a half years. So these are these three stars that have just formed, and they're in their own celestial walls, fairly stable. Mm. Out beyond them a few years ago, we realized that there is this huge amount of gas and dust in what we call a protoplanetary disk, the kind of disk that planets form from, but on a scale much bigger than the solar system. And that's exciting because it suggests you could have planets forming around these three stars. But this work goes one step further. What it's done is it's identified a gap in that disk, and that gap about a hundred times further from those stars than we are from the sun, has to have been cleared by something, and it's probably been cleared by a planet about the size of Jupiter. So what this means is looking at the system, putting all those clues together, you have a baby planet as big as Jupiter going around three stars. So if you were on a moon orbiting that planet, looking up in the sky, you wouldn't have one sun, you wouldn't have two, but you'd have three suns in your sky, right. all close together, shining bright. Does that mean it would always be daytime? No, because those three stars would all be off in the same direction from your point of view, you know. They are, the furthest two apart are separated by nine times the distance from the Earth to the Sun, and this planet is a hundred times the distance from the Earth to the Sun. Right. So what that means is that those stars would all be in about the same part of the sky. Mm. So if you're on that planet or you're on that moon, as you spin, when you're pointed towards those stars, you'd have daytime, just like we have daytime when we're on the side of the Earth pointing towards the sun. Yeah. But your spin would take you and point you out to the depths of space. They'd be below the horizon, so it would be nighttime. Now, John T., do you think that the, the extra distance from these stars to, to that planet, plus the extra heat from those stars, that because there's three of them, do you think that would cancel out and that planet could potentially be livable for people? Possibly. We can do a little bit of maths here just to make everybody's heads hurt. Yeah. The way stars tend to work is that, on average, if you double the mass of a star, it doesn't get twice as bright, it's not four times as bright, it's not even 18 times as bright, eight times as bright, it's 16 times as bright. The brightness of a star is roughly proportional to its mass to the fourth power. So mass times mass times mass times mass. So you've got two stars that are about double the sun, they'd be 16 each, which gives you 32, plus one that is one sun, so that gives you another one. So they'd be giving out about 33 times as much light as the sun, but you're a factor of 100 times further away right. than the Earth is from the sun. And what that would mean is you're only getting one ten thousandth of that energy. So these are still going to be a lot cooler and a lot fainter than the planets around the sun. Yes, you've got 33 times more energy, but the planet's only receiving one ten thousandth of that. So 33 ten thousandths, it wouldn't be particularly warm there. It probably they'll be comparable to the conditions, say, on the moons of Jupiter, not necessarily conditions on the Earth. Right. So in Star Wars, should should Luke Skywalker have, have fried to death or was the stars just far enough <coughs> that it was good livable temperature? Well, it's one of those things where you've got to apply the logic of there are people there, therefore the conditions have to be good enough. Right. So if those two stars were as big as the sun, he'd have had to have been about 30%, 40% more distant from them than we are from our star. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Jonty. Before before you go, I just want to ask you, for um, our listeners who want to check out what some of the USQ scientists and in particular women scientists that are doing um, in space stuff. Is there somewhere where they can go to, to check out that work? 
Well, a good first bet is actually follow the USQ team on Twitter. Yep. So I know media and comms have been putting out tweets every day this week in honour of Space Week. Great. The other thing is you could have a look at our websites. Um, look up Natalia in particular, because she's exceptional. Yep. Also look up Professor Graziella Caprarelli, who is one of our adjuncts here, who was the Australian lead on the big Italian discovery of water on Mars. Well, yeah. So we've got some incredible talent at USQ doing this work. And yeah, there's lots of people to look up and learn more about. Yeah, well, I'll make sure to check that out. Thanks so much, as always, Jonty, for your time and have a great space week. That's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Jonty Horner, astrophysics professor at the University of Southern Queensland. You're listening to phoenixradio.com.au. It is just past 1.30 and this is Spaced Out. It was a big day for a lucky Raceview father on Monday after he won a little over $1 million on the gold lotto. It's actually the seventh time that someone from Ipswich has won the Division 1 lotto this year. This got us in the studio thinking about what we would spend our million dollars on if we won. So... um, so what we did was we did what we do best and we sent out our fellow Spaced Out presenter and producer Pat Stibby into the field to see what you would spend your fortune on. And here's what he found out. An Ipswich dad is now a whopping $1 million richer after winning the gold lotto. He's the seventh Division One winner in Ipswich in the last 10 months. The Raceview man says he plans on investing his $1 million into a new pool and the house. But this got me thinking, what would you spend your million dollars on if you won? I headed right out into the field to see what the public would spend their million dollars on if they were lucky enough to win. <laughs> I'd probably pay off the house, man. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, I'd probably have to invest because yep. I don't want to go broke. <laughs> <laughs> Very good answer. Probably buy a brand new car. Yeah? Yep. What would you buy? Probably oh, Hilux or a Land Cruiser or something like that. Good choice. What about you? <laughs> um, I would probably pay off my mum's mortgage and then buy my own place. Yep. Very so I nice. I freedom. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I guess I'd pay off my mortgage, buy a car or something, and probably give the rest to charity. Well, that's a, a tough answer, but for me, um, just give it to charity. All of it? Yeah. Very nice. I like it. Bitcoin. 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 Cryptocurrency. Dogecoin. Everything. Fair <laughs> Make enough. <a> living. <laughs> Fair enough. What I would do with a million dollars if I... What I would like to do would be to put it into multiple businesses that support... Um, political parties that aren't favoured so I can I can help to let these unfavourable political parties um, win and then destroy the country from the inside <laughs> out uh, I'd also get a Ferrari <laughs> very nice I like it what about you I would probably get a house and then adopt a lot of dogs I like, like a nice big property I like that a lot there we have it Jack quite a few people there saying they'd just buy a house and invest their money and make a return on it. So a lot of smart spenders out there. Personally, I think I'd do the same. I'd buy a decent house, uh, a nice new car, and invest the rest, put it in a management fund, keep earning money. Love to know what you would do with yours, Jack, but back to you in the studio. Thanks so much, Pat. Those are all such boring ideas. 
nah, they're good. They're responsible. But I would buy the all the best Lego sets in the world because you got to if you're getting a million dollars, you got to work anyway. So may as well keep working hard and not have the incentive of a million dollars, but have the fun of Lego. But thank you for your report, Pat. It was great, insightful to know how the people of Springfield think. The Universe in Our Mind with Dr. Rachel Hannum. Hannum, Hannum, Hannum. Yes, as always, Dr. Rachel Hannum joins me. She's the director of North Brisbane Psychologists and one of Brisbane's most trusted and respected psychologist. Rachel, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Jack. How are you? I'm very well. And today we are talking about, I think, a very interesting topic, friends. Yeah, friendship is a really interesting topic because here's the thing. You can be happy with uh, without a partner as long as you've got friends, but the research shows you can't have a partner and no friends and be happy. Right. So it suggests that we do need friends. Right. So I was, I was actually just about to ask you, how, how big are friends in having a healthy mind? Yeah. Well, we're hardwired for connection, right? Yeah. And we're tribal animals, so we do need friends. The difference between having one good friend and no friends from our mental health point of view is huge. Yeah. So it's it's a really interesting topic in terms of mental health. Yeah. And as an adult, like I, I think a number of our listeners would have um, are in that young young adult stage. They've just finished school, and it's easy in school to have lots of friends because yeah. you're seeing them every day. But then once you leave, it's a it's a lot harder to not just um, maintain your friendships, but also make new ones. It really is. The first five years after I left high school was the loneliest period of my life. How do you suggest people make friends as adults? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Well, first of all, I want to say if you are lonely and you want more friends, you don't have them yet, you're not alone. It's very common, particularly yep. in early adulthood. I think talk about it. Don't be ashamed of the fact that you don't have as many friends as you'd like or any friends. You know, most of us have gone through a period where we don't have any friends. So talk about it with your family, um, you know, acquaintances. Like actually when you meet someone, say, you know, I'm looking for more friendship. Um, I'm in a bit of a period where I don't have enough friends. Um, And then we need to make a really good inventory of our environment, scan your environment and set yourself up to meet people, whether that's kind of going out to your existing networks and deepening your casual connections to Mm. make deeper connections or casting the net wider because there are friendship apps now. So Bumble BFF is basically Bumble (laughs) just to meet friends, not to meet um, lovers. Um, There's another app called Peanut. And there's also meetup.com. Most people know about meetup groups. In your, in your experience, have you seen those apps and websites work? Well, I, I've only just learned about friendship apps preparing for this right. interview. But, I, I mean, it makes sense to me that yeah. you could make friends through, through the internet, right? I mean, when I've had my first baby, I was also very lonely. I didn't know anyone else who'd had babies. So I met some mums through a forum on the internet. Now I'm friends with a couple of them still in real life 17 years later. So I know that the internet can be used for good as well as evil. So I definitely think try these apps, go to meetup.com or any other groups, be prepared to be awkward and uncomfortable. You know, being brave always means feeling awkward. Um, And go for quality, not quantity. I mean, if you spread yourself too thin, then you're not getting the quality of friendship, but you do need to try different avenues as well. So, um, you know, you've got to be brave. Yeah, great. And what are some ways we can sort of deepen our existing friendships so that they're not just like we have a common interest with someone? What are some ways we can actually, I guess, grow grow closer to, to our friends? Great question. Well, I think 
one really hot tip there is to ask good questions. Yep. Um, there's a great website people can look up called um, bigtalk.com. Big Talk as opposed to small talk. Small talk is, you know, just that sort of fatty conversation. Yep. So having some really good questions that you can ask people about their lives, about their thoughts, about things, about their dreams and hopes. Um, so, you know, asking good questions is great, but also be really clear in yourself about why you want closer friendships. Like friendship meets a lot of needs. It meets need for connection and community and being seen and trust and a whole lot of human psychological needs are met with friendship. There's nothing weird about wanting to be closer to somebody or to have more friends. So, um, you know, own it, be clear on your own valid and legitimate needs and then try to connect with the, the needs and values and hopes and dreams of, of your acquaintance or friend because vulnerability is the portal to connection. You know, the more we get to know someone, the more we're vulnerable and they're vulnerable, the closer we end up feeling to them. Dr. Ra Rachel Hannum, thank you so much for joining me. As always, I've learned a lot. Thank you. My pleasure. This is Spaced Out with Jack Lewis on phoenixradio.com.au and it is now time for... Messages, they're everywhere. We read them on our phones, we hear them when we're driving and someone is not too happy. Sometimes they are forever ingrained in history. I have a dream. And sometimes they're just trying to keep us safe. I always say, anyone in Queensland with any symptoms, please come forward and get tested. Being a show for the people, we wanted to know what you would say if you could send a message to the whole world. I hit the streets to find out. If you could send one message to the world, what would it be? Just be kind. If you could give one message to the world, what would it be? Um, just to work hard and stick to one thing. Uh, one message that I would send to the world would just be, you know, take COVID seriously so we can get out of it as soon as possible. Uh, if I had one message, I would just say, be good people. Peace. You think there's not enough peace at the moment? Um, not say not enough peace, but there is lots of happening, COVID-19, the war everywhere, yeah. Just be more respectful, like, be nice to everyone. Some people are different, but they don't deserve the harassments everyone gets. Wake up to yourself. Stop clearing land. Stop destroying this planet. Just stay safe out there with all the COVID that's happening and all the uh, messed up stuff going around in the world. Um, just spread love and positivity to everyone. And that is today's edition of Wonders of the Universe. It is four minutes to two, which means sadly it is the end of Spaced Out. But do not go anywhere because there are more great shows all afternoon and, in fact, all week on Phoenix Radio and, of course, awesome music like that one just then. Because up next, it's Hero Time with Russell. Then a little bit later on, Betty and Michaela's show. Then Alfie and Chris. You don't want to miss any of them. It's a super Wednesday afternoon on Phoenix Radio. But my name is Jack Lewis. I'd like to thank my producer, Pat, and Spencer and Byron for their help. On behalf of everyone... At Spaced Out, it's goodbye for now.